mic on. Very good. Uh, good morning, Lord's love. Uh, good to see you on this uh, chilly uh, Sunday. I heard uh, our, 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 our furnace did break down, but I heard it is resurrected, uh, and it is alive again, and uh, heat is coming into our sanctuary, so I'm so glad uh, that that is happening. I'm not sure what kind of week you've had. Have you, if I haven't met you before, you're looking at me, and you're like, oh, what happened to your lip? Well, I wish I had a really good story to tell you, like I fought a bear or like you know, got into a fight. It's actually just, I guess, my stress in my body uh, breaking out through a cold sore, so don't worry about me. I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get into a fight or anything uh, like that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 1 to 10, and that's where we're going to hang out for a little bit uh, this, this morning. And now I'll, I'll read for us. Uh, as you find your ways through your Bibles, your, your, your phone, or you can follow along with us on the screen there. Luke 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, uh, since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's just pray together. Father, this morning, we come into your house uh, to meet with you. And no matter what weeks we've had, God, we've come here just wanting to seek you, wanting to hear from you. And maybe some of us, God, aren't sure uh, what message you might have for us, uh, what you have to say to us today. So, Lord, I pray for all of us that you would give us hearts of understanding and of grace to receive this message this morning, God, that we would see you and we'll experience your presence, that we're, we don't want, want to be satisfied leaving this place without seeing you at work, understanding you a little bit more, and experiencing your presence. So God, we pray that you would be with us. And I'm thankful, God, for this church, for this opportunity to gather. And as we come together in this way, we know that uh, it is honoring to you. So may you be worshipped uh, through all that we do. So may words of truth be spoken now, and may you give us ears to hear your truth as well. And we pray this uh, to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As I start, I just want to say I, I'm really excited and thankful as a church that, uh, to say that the three Christmas hampers, we've actually collected most of the items already. So thank you for your generosity. The church, we're coming together to make a difference for these three families. We could still use some more non-perishable goods, like snacks and food for the moms and the babies and whatnot. So if you have an opportunity to give or to write a Christmas card and a prayer, please contact Caitlin, and we'd love to continue to bless uh, those families uh, in this way. And as I was preparing for this message this week, I, it reminded me of an interesting time, a funny time in my life where a lot of drama was happening. You're like, well, was this last week or was it this week? That's why you're so stressed out. No, it, it, was, it was actually all the way back in grade seven. Uh, I was preparing for this message and it reminded me of this time in grade seven when I was having my lunch and a group of friends came up to me. It's like, hey, Doug, so-and-so uh, so and, so and us aren't getting along uh, very well because I think even in grade seven, there were girl problems. 
uh, and, and board problems, some tension, something happened. I don't even remember the full details of it, but like, hey, we're not friends anymore. And I was eating my sandwich, and they came up to me, and it's like, hey, Doug, uh, which side are you on? I was like, what, what, do you, what side? I don't know. I, I, what are you talking about? Just leave me alone. I want to eat my sandwich right now. <laughs> like, I just want to mind my own business, eat, my, eat, eat the sandwich. Uh, you know, you guys go and figure it out. But I remember the tension. There was re- really a rift in our grade 7 class. There were two of them. Uh, in our grade 7 class where it's split into left and right. Like, which group are you following? Are you on this team? Are you on the girl's side? Are you, you know, whatever, right? And, and I, I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking as, as, as a people and as a society, even though that happened for me when I was, what, 12, grade 7, it really hasn't changed too much as we grow up, as we go through society. We often shun people, right, that are different or that have different viewpoints from us, people who are not like us. And maybe it's because we've been told that they did something or we should be ashamed of them or they're dirty and we need to avoid them at all costs. Like, it still happens today where we, 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 we separate people and we say, I belong to this group and, uh, and, and I belong to this group and we don't get along. Well, we're in a series called Meals with Jesus, as you see on the screen here, where we're looking at different passages through the Gospel of Luke where Jesus has a meal with different people. And today, Jesus does the unexpected and goes and has, ha, has dinner with someone uh, who was hated in the society. The culture and that time didn't accept him for who he was. He was rejected by people all around. And this person, as we read through the text there, is the chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. Jesus has a meal with Zacchaeus. And it's not just the first time people are outraged with this Jesus because he keeps hanging out with these sinners and these tax collectors, and these people that no one else seems to get along with. And people in that day were outraged by what Jesus was doing. And this is what I'm hoping we would see in the text this morning, that the outrageous acts of Jesus reveals an outrageous gospel that he is revealing, that he is revealing to us, that he is living out, that Jesus and his outrageous acts of love and grace and justice and mercy, it reveals really the heart of God. It reveals the heart of this God that we follow, this outrageous gospel that we believe in as Christians. And that's what I often say, whether you call yourself a Christ follower or not today, that I'm hoping that when you see the church, that you would see the outrageous acts of the church, of the people. That doesn't flow from the people, but flows from this gospel, this God that we follow, from the outrageousness, the awesomeness, the, the, the unexpectedness of what Jesus does in the ways that he lives out. Uh, the ways that he lived out his time here on earth. And what I want us to focus on this morning as we speak about the outrageous acts of Jesus uh, is exactly that. That's not so much a focus on Zacchaeus this morning, though he's definitely a part of the story, but it's on Jesus who does the unexpected thing once again. There he is, this Jesus, doing what society says he shouldn't be doing. And there's so many unexpected things uh, that happen in this passage. Just think about it as we read this as you go through this text again, it's outrageous and unexpected that a chief tax collector would want to see Jesus in the first place. Like, that's outrageous. That's unexpected. That shouldn't be happening. It's outrageous and unexpected that Jesus would want to actually go and stay in this man's home. Even with the system that was going on of, I belong to this group and, and, and he belongs to that group, he breaks those barriers and it's outrageous and unexpected that he would actually go and stay in his home for a meal. Furthermore, maybe it's even more outrageous and unexpected to the people then that not only does this chief tax collector receive salvation 
in Christ, but his whole household as well. So this whole passage is full of unexpected uh, events that we wouldn't uh, see, and the people then wouldn't have expected either. All of this seems like impossibilities. All of it seems like impossibilities, but that's our Jesus, right? That's our Jesus doing the possible during impossible, uh, in impossible situations, or doing the unexpected when, when, and when he was expected to do a certain, uh, certain action. But Jesus, what he focused on is what matters most, and it's always been about people. It's always about seeking and saving the lost, as we read in verse 10. It's always been about people's salvation and a life and a reconciliation and this relationship with God, that this Jesus will show all the boundaries he's willing to cross. He put himself and his own honor, his own shame on the line for the sake of us humans. The passage starts like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. But a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. We see here Jericho, uh, just before, uh, if you read uh, just before this in the verse uh, 35 to 42, you would see the, the passage uh, in Luke 18, 35 to 43, how Jesus heals a blind man. So that's just outside of the gates of Jericho. Uh, and news would have went ahead of Jesus, right? Like, hey, Jesus is coming to town. Uh, Jesus is coming down and he healed uh, this man just outside the gate. The word would have uh, went ahead of Jesus into the city and people would have been flocking that this healer, this Jesus, this Messiah, as he's claiming to be, is coming into Jericho. Let's go see what this is all about. So people knew that Je- what Jesus did and what he can do and they wanted to come and to see what he is going to do next. They're probably yelling and shouting in praise as he's coming in. Like, here is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. He's going to come and do amazing things. But because of what Jesus is about to do, by calling out Zacchaeus, by having a meal with him, we see later that these crowds, they really turn their heads and say, this man, we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't follow him anymore because he belongs to that crowd. He's going to go and eat with the sinners and the people that society rejects. Look at who he's hanging out with. So these praise kind of turn in, 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 into, in, into um, the, these um, shouts of, of judgment upon Jesus. And this is really a precursor, if you're following with me, because later on, Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and this just, uh, just intensifies the situation, that Jesus keeps doing the unexpected, that he has these outrageous acts, uh, these outrageous acts that, 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 um, that reaches out to people. Now, could you imagine how Zacchaeus was feeling at this moment. Zacchaeus, which by the way, his name means innocent or pure. That's what his name means. It's the chief tax collector, ironically, that, that is collecting taxes from his own people. We went over that a little bit last week, where he would take money from his own people, tax them, keep a little bit for himself maybe, and also use that money to fund the Roman uh, army and government to really take advantage of his own people. But his name means uh, pure and innocent, that his parents, when they named him, was hoping that he would grow up to be innocent and pure, but he's turned the wrong way. He's turned in, in a way that's anything but that. But this tax collector, even with his history, even though people are shunning him, even though people don't want to connect with him, he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. So in verse 3 we read, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was, was coming that way. So he went to see Jesus. And often this is pointed out that he couldn't see, which 
uh, because of his short stature. I'll go over that a little bit more. I don't think it's just physical, but maybe spiritually and morally as well. But he ran ahead and he climbed this tree to see him because he knew that this Jesus was coming that way. And I think this is true for us this morning. If we are to understand God's outrageous acts and we're to understand God's outrageous love for us, if we don't look out for God, then we might just miss God. That if we don't look out for God, then we might just miss God, that, that God is on a path of doing what he's doing in this world. And sometimes for us, your call to action today is, have you, been situa- have you, have you situated yourself to see God at work? Have you situated yourself to hear God? Have you situated yourself to experience God, whether it's time in the Word or time in fellowship with other people, whether it's in prayer, uh, whether it's however it is that you connect with God, out in nature, maybe it's in your workouts, maybe it's in your reading time, whatever it is. Have you been putting yourself and situating us, ourselves, into a position to see this God? A few years back, I was looking at, I couldn't find the picture because uh, I need to sort my computer, so I couldn't find these pictures, but I found it on my Instagram, so, you know, thank, you know, Instagram. Uh, so I found it on Instagram, and I've always wanted to see Niagara Falls. So a couple of years ago at a friend's wedding in Toronto, I got a chance to see uh, one of the natural wonders of the world uh, in Toronto. If you don't know, it's a huge waterfall out in Niagara, uh, Ontario, where it's a huge waterfall that you see, and you get to go on a boat, and you get to go up to it and experience the mist. Uh, this is uh, what it looks like. This is uh, one of the pictures I took. This is from my iPhone. Um, how beautiful and magnificent it looks like. Um, which, by the way, waterfalls, the geographical term is Nick Point. Uh, so I was slowly there, like, wow, look at this marvel. And my friends are like, you know, <laughs> just, just, just pay attention. Uh, just, just, just listen to the guide. And it's beautiful. You go into the mist and you get to enjoy it. I got to wear one of these uh, big red ponchos. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, these red ponchos, I did a touristy thing. Uh, but here's, here's my point. Like, I, wouldn't, I had to situate myself uh, in Niagara in order to see Niagara Falls, right? Like, if I can't be like, here, like, I want to see Niagara Falls. You know, like, why is Niagara Falls coming to me? Uh, I want to go and experience Niagara Falls. Well, there's a, there, there's a part of that, that where we need to go and to experience this wonder of the world. And I think there's that parallel and, and illustration for that as well for us. Here today, or if that's not working for you, what about the Olympics that happened back in 2010? I remember when the Olympic torch was going through the city. I believe this was Granville Street. I tried to go down as early as I can just to get a glimpse, right, of the Olympic torch passing by. It really was honestly kind of underwhelming. But at the same time, I, I made my way through the crowds. Like if I wasn't there, I would have missed it. I, I wouldn't have seen the torch being passed by. Like, like Steve Nash, not in this picture. I didn't, couldn't find that one. But Steve Nash running by you know, our local basketball you know, champion. Um, uh, and, uh, and also Arnold Schwarzenegger was running around Stanley Park, apparently. I found a picture of him uh, holding, uh, holding the torch. You see, people situated themselves outside around the torch in order to see it happen. And we think about that today with Zacchaeus, that he situated himself on purpose. He situated himself on purpose in order to see this Jesus. We see that he couldn't see, but he didn't use that as an excuse. But he climbed this tree. He climbed this sycamore tree. Zacchaeus wanted to see who this Jesus was. And this shortness that we speak of, maybe it was, phys- it was physical uh, for sure, but perhaps we can look into it a little bit more that, that the Bibli- as the biblical commentators say, that 
he was really short in terms of moral standing in the community as well, that he was ashamed to be in front of the crowd, in front to be seen, in front of, uh, ashamed of what the crowd might say to him if he was caught uh, in the public in that way. But either way, he couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't see this Jesus, but he didn't let the obstacles stop him. He didn't let it stop him. He wanted to get a glimpse of this guy that everyone is talking about. He wanted to get a glimpse of this, uh, of this man who's walking through, that's been healing and forgiving and doing these wonderful things. He wanted to get a glimpse of this Jesus. So he situated himself in the way of God, in the way of God, experiencing God's grace. And Zacchaeus, he positioned himself properly. What? He ran ahead and he climbed a tree to see better. And that's because he knew that Jesus was going to be there. Can you imagine that anticipation? If you knew Jesus was going to be there and that Jesus was going to show up, how, 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 how is our excitement in that way? How would we run ahead and situate ourselves? See, that, this, that's important because, for one thing, if Jesus wasn't in town, there wouldn't have been a purpose to climbing that tree. So it's Jesus, actually, who initiated this whole thing. Jesus is the one in his grace who went through the city and initiated this conversation. But notice also how Luke says, very specifically, it's a sick, sycamore fig tree. You know, Luke, why did you tell us that? Why did you say tree? Right? I mean, that's probably good enough. Like, sycamore fig tree, like, I should have put a picture up, but it's like a, a really wide uh, tree that's found in that part of the world. That's wide with thick branches that you can perch on. Uh, very iconic. If you look at uh, uh, quite a few African photos of, like, wide trees, you would see it in a lot of a- African uh, Mediterranean kind, kind of uh, uh, geography there. But, he, but I think there's really a few points here. We see details like this show up in the Bible. It reminds us that it was written in a real time uh, to a real, real people, that there's a real context to this passage here. And some would also argue that if a story like the gospel and the story of the Bible is really written up, why bother put such detail into it? Here we see that it was a sycamore fig tree that Zacchaeus perched on specifically, which, which speaks to the eyewitness account and speaks to uh, the validity of what was going on here. But maybe most importantly of this tree, if it wasn't there, then how would Zacchaeus see? <laughs> if that tree wasn't there, how would Zacchaeus have encountered this Jesus that day? And maybe there's a few points for us uh, to, to ponder about here. How are we as a church, uh, how are we, if I'm using, speaking uh, metaphorically about this tree, how are we as a church and how are we as people planting seeds? Because that tree was there for a purpose. Whether they planted it or not, we don't know, but they didn't chop it down, that's for sure, because that, that was still there. Like planting seeds, like that one day, how are we doing this, that, that, that these, these seeds would blossom and grow into these sycamore trees where maybe people can perch and see Jesus, where people can experience this God who, who, who graces us with his presence. Or how we can, as a church, be a sycamore tree, maybe. A sycamore fig tree, where in, wherever people come in and gather, whether it's on Sundays or in our life groups or in our kids' ministries or in our uh, young adults' fellowships and youth groups and whatever it is, whenever we gather, that it's like the sycamore fig tree where people get a glimpse of this Jesus that we follow and experience the goodness of God so that they can encounter Jesus face to face. It's how many of us, maybe this is a more personal note, how many of us miss out on what Jesus is doing because maybe we didn't position ourselves and we've been distracted and what it looks like to follow this God. And we ask, God, where are you? Where have you been? What are you doing? 
but we haven't asked ourselves, hey, how, what are, what, what's our responsibility in this? To pause and to, to calm down a little bit and to not be distracted by the ways of the world so that we can experience God's grace a little bit. Maybe we need to perch ourselves on that sycamore tree and to be still and to see this God pass by and encounter us. And if you call yourself a Jesus follower, maybe we can learn something even deeper and more important in this uh, passage here about discipleship. About discipleship. What I'm, I love about this passage is Zacchaeus and his genuine joy and enthusiasm in seeking out God. Honestly, you imagine him being this man, and by the way, in that time, grown men and people of respect do not climb trees. That was, that was reserved for children to do, to play. But here, he gave that all up because he was so joyful and enthusiastic to see this Jesus. Could you imagine, again, what that would look like for us in our discipleship to come running, right? To know that, hey, this is where I'm, we're going to encounter God today in our life group, in our gathering today, and, and when we ever come together, in my prayer time alone, that we're going to encounter Jesus. Man, that enthusiasm and that joy that Zacchaeus has, what would it look like in our own lives if we did that as well, not for the sake of doing it, but from this genuine inwelling of, of desire, of wanting to experience this God. That challenges me. That challenges me to, to live out my discipleship, my, my ways of following Jesus in that way. Because disciples of Jesus ought to have a genuine joy and enthusiasm to encounter Jesus. I know you might, maybe I'm hearing some of your thoughts and you're like, God is everywhere, right? Doug, like I don't need to be intentional uh, or I need to situate myself properly. Um, and yes and no, God is everywhere. But we do need to situate ourselves, maybe not physically, but our heart, to listen and to receive this God. I was listening to the Bible app this morning and N.T. Wright, who is a New Testament theologian, was talking about all the, po- talking all about the posture of prayer, of how in the Bible uh, it talks a lot about kneeling, about standing in prayer and even being face down in prayer. Uh, it doesn't talk a lot about sitting in prayer, though that's not being blasphemous if you sat down and you prayed. But he was, what he was saying is that your posture matters in terms of how you receive and how you listen to this God. And that's a challenge for me today of how do I posture myself? Um, how often do I not hear God because I haven't postured myself? I haven't been expectant of receiving what God is saying to us. So maybe another point for you this morning is, how are you posturing yourself? What is that sycamore tree, that fig tree that you need to climb upon to just to slow down a little bit because life is busy. You've got a lot going on in your families. You've got a lot going on in your relationships and your jobs and life in general. What would it look like for you to stay put and calm and on the sycamore tree just watching in excitement uh, for what God's going to do? Because God is going to do something and that's where the good news gets even better here. When Jesus reached the spot the spot, the place where this is all going to go down, the encounter is going to happen. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. When Jesus reached the spot, that divine moment, as some commentators say, that divine moment where Jesus locks eyes with Zacchaeus, that moment where the maker of the heavens and earth, the creator of of all human beings in all life form, locks eyes with his creation. That divine moment where the creator of the stars in the universe looks onto Zacchaeus and calls him by name. Man, I would have loved to be there that day. 
I love to see that encounter. And Jesus here knew. He's like, not like, hey, you, man in the tree, <laughs> come down right now. No, as he's walking, what do you say? He calls out Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, specifically, he knew his name right then and there. And it wasn't Zacchaeus who called out, like, Jesus, I'm here. And Jesus is like, I know. <laughs> I'm a dignified man on a tree. <laughs> I see you. But it wasn't Zacchaeus who called out, but it was Jesus calling out to Zacchaeus. And that's because Jesus, this Jesus, he knows who's seeking him out. He knows who desires him. He knows who it is that wants to encounter him. And not only is there a promise here today for anyone who seeks Jesus to actually see Jesus, what's even more amazing here today is this, that everyone wanting to see Jesus will be seen by Jesus. That's the goodness, that's the good news right there, that for those of us who are seeking this God, not only will we see this Jesus, but you will be seen. You will be known. You will be heard. He will be concerned by what you are going through. So much so that he will go onto that cross and die for you before you even knew him. That this Jesus, every time we seek him and want to see him, he sees us first. He knows you and your pain. So today, as you come into this place, in the sanctuary, maybe for the very first time, you're thinking, yes, this morning I did wake up, I did get dressed, I got in my car, I walked here, or I transited here on purpose. And that is true. But long before that, God has already been calling you. God has already been seeking you. God has already been saying, I have a word for you. I have new life for you. I have joy for you. I have peace in this time of Advent and waiting for you before you even knew it. Everyone wanting to see Jesus will be seen by Jesus. And Jesus is urgent with his interaction with Zacchaeus. He says, what? I must stay with you. I have to stay with you. There's nowhere else I got to be later. I canceled everything on my itinerary. I was just passing through Jericho, but now I'm staying in Jericho. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay in your house because I have to have this meal with you. And you see, this is really more than a meal, right? This is really more than a meal. Jesus is declaring to everyone then and there that's listening in on this, that this Zacchaeus, and we'll read this later on, is indeed a child of God. This Zacchaeus, this Zacchaeus, no matter what he has done, no matter what he has said, no matter what he has thought and his terrible actions seen in society or how dirty someone might think he is and how ashamed he is of himself, he is still a child of God and this Zacchaeus is still mine, no matter what. That he is still loved, that he's still known, that he's still wanted in my family. And it wasn't because of his behavior that Zacchaeus cleaned up his act or how he started rejecting his life. It wasn't because of his status in society. Well, I only, only came to save the elite, Jesus said. He didn't ever said anything like that. Or how much money he has in the bank or, the sta- or, 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 or how, how, many go- how much goods and how many houses or how many possessions that he has. No, it wasn't any of that that saved him. It was simply because of this, the grace of our God who came to encounter and knew his heart and knew what he needed. This outrageous act of Jesus reveals this outrageous gospel that he is declaring to the world, that he is living out, that he is showing. But people didn't see that because what they saw was a sinner. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. People didn't see Zacchaeus as a man needing salvation 
or a man that's needing grace or a man that's broken and sinful just like everyone else, what did they actually see? They only saw what was happening on the outside, right, by the works that he was doing, but they didn't see what God was doing on the inside in his heart, how the transformation has already taken place, how everything has changed already inside, starting on the inside, in the heart, and is about to explode outward in terms of his action. Because their understanding was this, that this old, in the Old Testament, this God, holiness and unholiness could not mix. And there needed for there to be the sacrifice, this atonement, in order for us to come clean before God. So animal sacrifices were happening left, right, and center for all the sin and brokenness that was happening. So they could not understand how holiness and, and unholiness could possibly come together. But Jesus, God in the flesh, God with us, who came in the form of a baby in, a hum, as hum, in, in that humble form, God came and gave that all up and said, yes, I'm going to come and mix with humanity to show you how much I love them. But yet I'm still perfect and I'm still good because I'm still God. But I'm still going to come and take on the brokenness of humanity, the sin and the dirtiness and the brokenness and the muck and the mire. And I'm going to take that on myself so that they can have new life. That I'm going to go into Zacchaeus' home, even though that place is unholy and unclean, I'm going to go in because it's not the outside that needs to be clean, but it's the inside, right? And whatever happens on the outside with Jesus doesn't impact him because his heart is good and pure because he is God. But he's here walking on earth, and he's not repelled by the sin and the brokenness and the dirt, but he picks up the dirt onto himself. He doesn't care about the barriers. He doesn't care what people say about him. He's living out this outrageous gospel that he believes in, that he's carrying out, that leaves, leads to these outrageous acts of love to everyone around. So Zacchaeus, so he stood up as a response and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount. And you see here that the outrageous acts of Jesus are met with an outrageous response. The outrageous acts of Jesus are met with an outrageous response. And this is so important here that it wasn't when Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give four times the amount and half of our possessions. Then Jesus says, I'm going to come into your house today. That's only then I'm going to have a relationship with you. No, this is actually an, an acceptance to the invitation. That, that God is giving out to Zacchaeus. That this outrageous act from Jesus led to this outrageous response from Zacchaeus because we look at his response. And I don't think this is prescriptive, but more descriptive. I don't think everyone, the, the call to action here isn't for everyone to give out half of the possessions, though maybe that's you today and that's what God is calling you uh, to do. I don't think that's the point of the story here, that everyone ought to give half of what they have, but the point here is this, that there is an outrageous response. There is an outrageous response to this outrageous gospel that we hear and that we receive. But we ask, why wealth and why possessions? Because often, especially in that time in culture, it's such a physical representation of what's going on, right? On the inside, uh, Matthew, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So it's, it's just a, a very real way of representing what's going on in the heart. So for, for some of us, it could be wealth and possessions that we need to respond in and giving that to God. It could be certain habits. It could be our job that has become our, our obsession. 
maybe it's a certain activity or maybe even a sport uh, that you're addicted to, that you, keep, you just can't let go of. Maybe it's a relationship that's not good for us. It could be anything. The point is here that when we encounter Jesus and his out- outrageous acts of love, there is an outrageous response to this God. Because in the Bible, whenever one responds to the gospel, there's always a giving up of something. There's always a giving up of something. And talking about the cost of being a disciple in Luke 14, 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus, what do you mean by everything? Well, the everything is really the something that you need to give up. Whatever that outrageous response is that's on your heart and mind right now, that is what God is leading us towards saying, that's been keeping you from experiencing life. That's been keeping you from seeing me experiencing this new life that God has for you. And God is saying, let that go because I have something way better, way better in store for you. Whatever you've been searching for and thinking that is what's going to provide you with peace, I will show you what real peace is. I will show you what real comfort is. I will show you what real joy is. So what's our outrageous response today? What's your outrageous response to the gospel today? And again, maybe it's the way you spend your time. Maybe it's the way you live certain parts of your life. Maybe it's what you choose to do, what you choose not to do. Maybe it's staying the course and knowing what you're doing is right in the Lord's eyes. But, but you're being ridiculed by your friends and your family for following the gospel. Maybe that is your outrageous act. I'm going to keep pressing on and being firm. Maybe it's your outrageous act of sharing the word with someone today. And be like, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know his love? Do you understand him? Maybe it's to forgive someone that has wronged you or to have a certain conversation that you haven't had in a very long time that you need to have today. Maybe that's your outrageous response. We see here in Zacchaeus, that's where we draw from this, that he had an outrageous response to this outrageous act, these outrageous acts of God. And Jesus ends this section of text, this encounter with Zacchaeus, with this, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I love this because it was after Zacchaeus responded that God really fully went into his life. It's after Zacchaeus responded that God went into his life. He doesn't come into our lives uninvited, barging in with a huge sledgehammer, knocking down the doors. Sometimes we get a wake-up call, but at the end of the day, We still need to respond. Our God wants a response from us to live out this gospel that we say we believe in. It was Zacchaeus who responded. God initiated, but Zacchaeus responded, and God showed up in mighty ways, saying that salvation has come into this house, both spiritually speaking, salvation has come, but also physically in the name name of Jesus. As I've come in, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? So when we walked into the house, salvation has come. Literally. Because I am the way, the truth, the truth, and the life. I am salvation. I am everything that you have been looking for. Salvation has come into this house. Not tomorrow, but today. Not sometime in the future when, when everything's all set and you think things are in the right conditions. No, right now, today, in this moment, salvation has come when your house is still messy, when you weren't expecting any guests, When life is still messy and broken and dirty, that's when Christ shows up and says, I am still here for you. 
I haven't left you. Right now, today. Why? Because Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission. It's not for those that are perfect and already healed, that think everything's all good and have it all together. No, he has come and said, if, you, if, you're, if your life, if you don't know your purpose, if you're struggling, if you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with sickness, if you're struggling with, with your understanding what life is all about, salvation has come. I'm going to work with you and, and, and help you understand what this life is all about. And think about this peace that Zacchaeus experienced that day. All the shame and guilt he's experienced in society, all the shame that maybe he's put upon his own family who named him innocent and pure, and he's living anything but that. In that moment, the maker of the universe looks at him and says, you are loved, and you are known, and nothing else really matters in this world when you're with Jesus. And they had a meal. And they enjoyed that time together. I don't know what it is for you today, what you're needing peace as we're on the second week of Advent. And we're waiting and recalling the arrival of Jesus here. But I think the truth stands here today as it did thousands of years ago. The salvation has come today for all those that are wanting it and receiving. And maybe you're experiencing brokenness and pain and you're wanting this peace, it's never too late. That today is the day for you to say, yes, I want this salvation in Christ. I want this peace in Christ. And this is a moment for you to respond and say, Jesus, come into my life, because life isn't what I thought it was going to be. I don't want you in my life today. Whether you've prayed this before, or this is the very first time, this is an invitation for us to seek him and to experience him, experience him and to know him. So I'm going to do something here. I'm just going to pray. Uh, for us, so you can bow your heads. I'm going to pray and then with a word of prayer here. Lord, this world really isn't what we thought it would be with all the wars and turmoil and flood and, and, and brokenness and pain that's really going on, especially with COVID happening around the world right now. Lord, personally, we're experiencing anxiety sadness and brokenness and depression. And our emotions are everywhere. Lord, at this moment, we respond to you by saying yes to you again, that we want your peace, that we want your presence. That I might not fully understand what this whole gospel and this whole word and is all about, Lord, but you reveal that to us in your time. But today we say, Lord, we want your salvation. We want this new life. So Jesus, even this week, even the things that we've done yesterday, we thank you that you've forgiven us. We turn away from our old ways and we're saying yes to you again today, saying yes to God. And right now, as we look onto the face of our Savior, the maker of the heavens of earth, the creator of the universe, you're looking upon us saying, son, daughter, you are so loved. Let go. Let go of all the burdens you're carrying that you think you need to do. Carry your own strength with your own power. Let it all go and be in the Father's hands now and to trust that in this moment with our God, everything is okay because our future and our life is secure in him.
But Lord, we give you our brokenness. We give you our pain. We give you our sadness. We give you our times of questioning. We may not have the answer, but we have your peace. And we have your presence. And we pray, Lord, that we experience you abundantly more from this moment forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.